you take your Bibles and open them to Malachi chapter 3, the title for today's message is Giving, an Act of Obedience. Please stand with me for the reading of God's living word. I'll begin with verse 7 and read through verse 12, and then we'll explore this text together. Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in tithes and offerings? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. All the nations will call you blessed, for you shall be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. You may be seated. In my years of following Christ, I can recall vividly two specific incidents that pertain directly to this passage. Early on in my, work, my walk with Christ, I was actually counseled that this passage was directly related to my prosperity. As if to say, if only I would give, or let's use the word for now, tithe, 10%, the devil would be rebuked from my life and my prosperity, my financial well-being would be overflowing abundantly. Now, the second encounter was not as connected to that type of health and wealth result. Although, it was certainly centered around the use of this passage as a church age command. A command that would, in essence, leave us under the judgment of God, if we were not obedient to follow it. That said, what does the Lord want from us in this area of giving? What about these actual words, tithes and offerings? How do we answer these questions? How do we define these terms? Is there a distinction? The 
between the nation of Israel and this church age that God has called us to providentially live within. In this passage of Malachi, we will see a timeless truth. A timeless truth that applies for, yes, the nation of Israel as well as us here today. That timeless truth is the reality that God's provision, His protection, and His blessing are certainly, indeed, linked and stem from faithful giving. What that looks like, though, is a different story. And we'll get there. For the Christian, whatever the answers may be, we understand that giving is truly an act of obedience. With this in mind, the question for us today to answer as we examine what might we take from this passage, all the while being diligent to understand it in its original context. That question is, is what drives faithful giving? Several responses we will look at to this question should pave the way, I believe, for further clarity and application as we look to live a life that reflects Christ in all that we do, that reflects the giving to others and to him that he has given to us. Our first response, number one, is to appreciate the relationship of God. And this is found in verse 7. The text, as you see, begins with a reprimand of their historical and now their current disobedience. The text says that they are turning aside from the statutes of God's law. Now the Lord through Malachi has repeatedly, and we have seen this throughout our study, communicated the importance of remembering the covenantal fellowship and relationship that they have with the God of Israel. We saw in chapter 2 the importance of honoring that relationship in the priority of worship. In this section, might I, let me backtrack. Going back to even several weeks ago, I want to make a point on this. When we spoke about the section for divorce, we also saw the priority of the vertical aspect of our relationship with God before the horizontal. And that will be key as we work our way through this text. Unfortunately, though, as we've seen time again, once again, here they are turning aside, disregarding God's laws. Instead of appreciating and honoring their special and unique relationship with Yahweh, the God of Israel, they've, let's say, veered off course. It's as if instead of following their Levitical GPS, God's law is calling them to proceed to the root. What's more, instead of guarding and keeping watch over that special relationship, they begin once again 
take it for granted. Nevertheless, even in the face of taking such a special relationship for granted, we see this beautiful picture of God's long-suffering, his forgiveness. And this actual command in the Hebrew when he says, return to me and I will return to you. Although, once again, I've used this term multiple times throughout this study, we see their whining attitude of self-denial. Self-denial, self-rejection, if you will, of God's laws. We see them say, how shall we return? Now, don't for a minute think that this has anything to do with a legitimate desire for an answer. We've seen throughout the context in Malachi's constant rebukes to them how they responded in self-denial multiple times, clearly demonstrating the true state of their heart. Allow me to paint the picture in a different manner. Unfortunately, there are times when this incredible gift of the covenantal bond of marriage is neglected. One spouse over a period of time, and it doesn't happen overnight, begins to take for granted that special bond and relationship between a husband and a wife. A half-hearted or less than obedient approach to marriage is never acceptable. Your wife, your husband, joined as one flesh, wants all of you, heart and mind. In the same manner, God desired of his chosen people all of their heart and soul and might. We looked at that several weeks ago when we examined Deuteronomy chapter 6 and that great charge to the nation of Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. He desired that they would worship him in heart, soul, and might. Regardless, in the face of disobedience, Again and again. Yahweh authenticates his desire for relationship with them in a call for them to, I'll use that GPS term again, proceed to the root. Return to me. Repent, if we would use church age language. There's a reason why this section of Malachi begins with the vertical aspect of one's relationship with God. Before he could address Israel's disobedience in the tithe, he had to address their relationship. It was their relationship with the Lord that was the bedrock of all of their obedience in any area of life whether it was the tide or whatever it may be. In a similar vein, 
It's our relationship with Christ, which is the catalyst, which drives us, which keeps us on track. So, concerning our question, what drives faithful giving? As for Israel, they failed miserably in practicing this first response to appreciate the relationship with God. With that said, how might we respond positively in appreciation of our relationship with God in order that it might drive us to be faithful in giving? Let me offer just a couple thoughts. In contrast to Israel's constant self-denial and rejection of the sin that they were wholeheartedly aware of, would we be a people of honesty? An honesty that involves repentance in any area of Christian life, let alone, at times, our lack of generosity. Augustine stated, and I quote, the confession of evil works is the first beginning of good works. How are we going to appreciate God's relationship, which in turn, prayerfully, hopefully, especially those of us that are in Christ, drive us to faithful beginning or giving? It certainly begins with a life committed to repentance. A life committed to turning aside from turning aside, if you will. I love that passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 and 11, which distinguishes between the difference of worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. In verse 11, it clearly communicates the fruit of what godly sorrow produces in a believer. What earnestness, what zeal, what longing to make things right. This is what God desires of us. This is what enables us to appreciate our relationship with God. A relationship that requires us, unfortunately, in the flesh that we live, to daily wrestle with sin to be honest with the sin in our lives and to seek the Lord in repentance and forgiveness. Psalm 139 verses 23 and 24 would call us all to live in such a manner as this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Additionally, an appreciation of our relationship with God will certainly flourish when we are wholeheartedly committed to pursuing Him. James will say it as such in chapter 4, verse 8. He says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify 
your hearts, you double-minded? What do we hear today? Is there someone here, even here today, that needs in repentance to seek the Lord in order that your heart might be purified? In order that your hands might be clean, prioritizing and appreciating your relationship with Him. As we begin to unpack more of this tithe concept, an appreciation of our vertical relationship with God will be indispensable. Our second response to our question is to appreciate the holiness of God. And this is found in verses 8 and 9. And we've seen multiple times throughout this examination the holiness of God compared to the irreverence of Israel. In chapter 2, verse 11, you might recall how we read of how Judah actually profaned the sanctuary of the Lord. In examining that phrase, we saw that this was an actual despising of the holiness of the Lord himself. And now, Look with me again in the beginning of verse 8. This despising of the holiness of God, this neglect of what God desires of us to actually appreciate His holiness, to live by it, we see the words, beginning of verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. This is a deliberate decision an intentional one. In the original language, we can understand that it, it's in essence as if taking something by force. Utter disregard for what God has given to them. Moreover, we can see even in the use of the verb participle in and of itself, robbing me, this is a continual practice. They're continually taking by force, metaphorically speaking, robbing, stealing from God. We might ask the question, fundamentally, why is this a violation of God's holiness? Of course, it's a violation of His law, but there's so much more behind this violation Psalm 24, verse 1 proclaims, The earth is the Lord in all that it contains. There is nothing in any human being that they have desired or wanted that is theirs to take. Every good gift comes down from the Father above. Even within the context of this book, in chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, we saw that it was God who sovereignly chose them. And yet, they rob as if it's theirs to take. Nevertheless, 
they continue and they choose to steal from God in tithe and offerings as the verse indicates. On top of that, they continue to act as though they were not aware of the sin. Like an apprehended thief, arrogantly confessing his innocence, they are caught on their own camera of conviction. I'm reminded of Proverbs chapter 5 when we think of ourselves in that camera of conviction. That verse speaks to the significance that the Lord sees and knows everything. Now, I do want us to look closer and examine these terms, tithes and offerings, in the introduction, I said, how do we define these things? I need to do that, and we will, and it is very important for us as we consider how we might apply this message. Before we get there, let's briefly look at verse 9. Look with me again. The verse states, they will be cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. Clearly, an emphasis of divine punishment upon their disobedience. And we saw similar language in chapter 2, verse 2. In that verse we read, Then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessing. The neglect and disregard for the holiness of God has, Malachi, and will always bear steep, consequences as for us the christian is of course empowered by grace albeit let that grace never be an excuse for us to neglect hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 which states that without holiness no one will see the lord What about these two terms, tithes and offerings? Are we to understand them in the same case as they were for Israel? Let's dig a little deeper on these terms. The word tithe in the Hebrew actually is defined as one-tenth or a tenth. Many of us over the years, primarily, probably, as you thought about the concept of giving unto the Lord financially, and let me say, giving is not only financially, but maybe many of you even here in this room today look at that word as a command to give 10%. Is that what God's word is calling us? Let's, let's look. Leviticus chapter 27, verses 30 through 33 is where we first see the commandments of Yahweh concerning the tithe, this is key, for the nation of Israel. Throughout the law, it's also important to know that the tithe was intended to be utilized to support the priests as well as provide for many underprivileged individuals 
within that economy, whether that might be widows, orphans, aliens, strangers, sojourners. Likewise, and this is essential for us, as we start to unpack how do we work out this text, the tithe was in essence a tax. Not to mention a command for the nation of Israel. Additionally, a tithe that became multiple tithes. And multiple tithes that if we were to unpack the rest of the scriptures, which we do not have time here today, but show us and demonstrate that that percentage was more closer to plus 20%. Now, regarding the offerings, we can be brief in simply saying that it was voluntary as opposed to a command. It was designed for the priests, and it was above and beyond the tithe. As for us, without a doubt, I know, especially given the incredible, rich history of this church in the area of giving, we desire to be found faithful, obedient when it comes to giving. That said, how do we appreciate this holiness of God in light of this context that we're examining. Once again, I would argue it begins with a vertical focus as compared to the horizontal. And what does that look like, though? Ultimately, a life that is set apart for Christ will be fully committed to not robbing from God, if I could use Malachi's language. But if I were to use church age language, for example, are we fully committed to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, which, by the way, is a command to us. Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed to the churches of Galatia, so do also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections can be made when I come. Is that our desire? In addition, what about our giving today when it comes to the subject of worship? And we've looked at that quite extensively throughout this book of Malachi and the importance of that. Do we appreciate God's holiness? That we would approach our giving in a spirit of Psalm 96, verses 7 and 9? Even within the context of the day and age that we live in, and I've made mention to this in the past, at times we lose sight of our giving as an act of worship. Let us never do so. Psalm 96, verse 7 and 9, listen to these magnificent words concerning how we might apply giving in this church age as we seek to worship the Lord in doing so. 
Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him in all the earth. Now, by now, maybe some of you have noticed, especially in this area of application, not so much explanation of the text, that I've repeatedly used this word giving as opposed to the word tithe. Now, that is intentional, and I promise you the reason is coming. Furthermore, as we discuss the meaning of the tithe in the original language, as we looked at the tithe inevitably becoming multiple tithes, whether it's 20 plus percent or a tenth of their resources, agricultural or monetary, whatever it may be, maybe some of you are asking the question, how do we quantify what is considered by God in his word for us here today as acceptable, faithful, obedient giving. And our third response, we'll eventually begin to see some of these questions and appropriate application take shape. Number three, our third response to the question, what drives faithful giving is to appreciate the provision of God. And this is found in verse 10. You can see in the verse, the word bring, the whole tithe. This is the first command in this verse of two. There was certainly no room for shortcuts when it came to the nation of Israel's command to bring the whole tithe. We've mentioned what that pertained to. That this was a command to Israel. And it was intended to support the priests and the underprivileged. So why is it essential for them to do so? Nehemiah chapter 13 verse 10 provides perspective. Just reference it. You can look at it later, but I'll share it with you. Nehemiah said, I also discovered that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them so that the Levites and the singers who performed the service had gone away, each to his own field. Nehemiah contextually here had left Jerusalem and returned to Persia. And unfortunately, in his absence, many had began to neglect the tithe. As we read, the unfortunate result was inevitable. The priests were forced to abandon their priestly responsibilities and to return to field labor. Now, 
we know that Malachi historically followed very closely to what transpired timeline-wise for Nehemiah. He most certainly would have been aware of what had transpired. That being said, it was vital for him to address this potential outcome of disobedience. Now, the second command we see, test me, is very interesting indeed. For some, perhaps you're thinking of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16. As, as though this might be a contradiction. And in that passage, we read that you shall not put the Lord your God to the text. Now, for those of us born again, believers in Christ, we know that Scripture never contradicts itself. There must be an answer, and there is. If the typical biblical pattern was to not test the Lord, what is taking place here in Malachi? There's a big difference. The sinful action of testing the Lord, which Deuteronomy chapter 6 prohibits, is one in which a man attempts of his own volition to play with fire, if you will, by testing God. This is not what we see in Malachi 3.10. This is the Lord himself saying, test me and see what I will do. As sure as the sun sets and rises, the Lord confirms his faithful provision of obedient, repentant, Hallelujah. What will he do if they heed his command? The text states, look with me. I love this picture. He will open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. Hallelujah. To a farmer in a famished season of drought. There is nothing like an open window of heaven's dew in the form of rain. This is an appreciation of provision like no other. An appreciation that flows forth from a life that is sustained by that provision. So, at least for Israel, there was direct correlation to their abundant provision in their obedience to the tithe. But what about us, though? How do we appreciate the provision of God in hopes of driving a lifestyle of generosity. First off, it's critical. We need to make the distinction between the provision for Israel and the provision for the church today. 
now I can return to what I previously mentioned in my repeated use of the word giving as opposed to tithe when it comes to our application. This is critical. The greatest provision the world has ever known is found in the person of Jesus Christ. With that said, listen to the words of Romans chapter 10 verse 4 concerning his provision for us if we are in Christ and the Old Testament laws and statutes. Romans 10 verse 4 says, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Or Romans chapter 6 verse 14. For sin shall not be master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Shout for joy on that one. So what's the point? Christ has fulfilled the law and all its requirements. Nowhere within the pages of New Testament Scripture do we ever find the concept of the tithe. As we discussed If we were literally attempting to abide to the tithe, we should be giving at minimum 20 plus percent if I were to use that monetarily. Again, reiterating that giving is more than just financial. Not to mention, if we were under the law still abiding to the tithe, this would be a command, not voluntary. As church-age believers, listen to this one. Many churches across the land would shudder at words such as this. God is not commanding his church to tithe a specific percentage. What did you say, Pastor John? There's so much more. What God is doing for us here in this church age, because Christ has fulfilled the law and all of its requirements, He is calling each and every one of you to far greater levels of obedience. Obedience that flows forth from the wellspring of your heart. Not just in a legalistic, I give 10%. Listen to the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 7 and 8. Many of us are familiar with it. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion. 
For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Why should we appreciate his provision for us here today? Christ has fulfilled the requirements of the law. Because of that reality, it is grace that empowers our obedience. It is grace in that we are who we are. It's grace that opens our hearts and enables us to give abundantly a lifestyle of generosity. Maybe there's even someone here today who God is calling you to greater levels of generosity. If we looked at just financially, of course, percentages could be utilized as a guide. However, are you faithful within your means to give above and beyond out of the wellspring of your heart because of all that Christ has provided for you within your means? Not in a spirit of obligation, but of a cheerful heart, open hands, not closed, all the while knowing that God's provision is sufficient. I pray that would be the case as the Holy Spirit directs our hearts individually. The fourth response to our question is to appreciate the protection of God. This is found in verse 11. The verse states, look with me. He will rebuke the devourer, and he will not allow the fruits of the land or ground to be destroyed. And this word, devour, actually pertains to something that is being consumed Within Malachi's context, most certainly, this was referring to the locust. Why would this type of protection be a motivator for faithful tithes amongst the Israelites? Let us not forget that this was primarily a farming culture. This type of protection would have been a lifeline in a black cloud of swarming devastation. And yet, their fruits would be protected. They would be kept from being destroyed or becoming barren because of their obedience. Is there someone here today that something is possibly consuming you. Do 
do you at times feel as though your green fields of life, if you allow me to paint a picture, are under a devastation of a plague of affliction? Do you feel as though your, your blue skies at times are transformed into an incessant scourge of darkness? We've all been there. Some of you perhaps are there right now. What is it that will rebuke your devourer? What is it that will allow you to overcome and to bear much fruit? What is it that will create an appreciation of protection like no other and drive you to a lifestyle of generosity? Precious sweet words of Jesus in John chapter 15 verse 5 speak to the answer of these questions. He said, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. As you ponder the goodness of God, the protection of God in your life, would that drive you to abundant, faithful giving? The vine dresser and the vine himself is protecting you even now as the branch. close, let's look briefly at our fifth and final response. So number five, to appreciate the blessing of God. In verse 12, appreciate the blessing of God. In this final verse, we hear of the nation's ultimate blessing. As you can see within the text, all nations will eventually call them blessed and a delightful land. There are many verses that can shine a light on the understanding and the meaning of this passage to the nation of Israel and what we will see in the future to come. But for the sake of time, let me share just one. Isaiah chapter 62, verse 4 reads, At that time, I will bring you in even at the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I will give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. We've seen throughout Israel's apathy in relation to their neglect of the Lord's covenantal faithfulness from the beginning of this series, we've mentioned that we would see multiple rebukes for them 
But we also made mention that undergirding it all is the sovereign love and faithfulness of the Lord to his people. Once again, the Lord confirms his promise to bless Israel and fulfill his covenants to them. What is this blessing? It's a blessing like no other. Where the king of kings will sit on his throne. Where God will restore his people. And a theocratic millennial kingdom to come. Where Christ reigns on his Davidic throne. Here on earth. He is faithful. What does this have to do with giving you might ask? Giving is an act of obedience, as our title states. And whether it was Israel or the body of Christ today, our appreciation of his relationship, our appreciation of his holiness, our appreciation of his provision, our appreciation of his protection, and our appreciation of his blessing are all inevitably linked. One day, our obedience will be rewarded when we reign with Christ in that millennial kingdom with the saints of old. Till then, as we consider our obedience in abundant, heart-inspired giving in this church age, let us never fear open hand. Let us never fear the release of resources. All the while resting in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. In Christ Jesus. What is God calling you today? To do. To examine. To give. Of your life. To him. And to others. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would use your word here today to penetrate deep down within our hearts, to discern the thoughts and intentions of that heart. Lord, we desire to understand the significance that we are the branch and the vine dresser himself as well as the vine is protecting us, providing for us. But Lord, you have not called us to be a people, to act as though what we have is ours. We are simply called to be stewards while we are here, Lord. Use your Holy Spirit to direct us to your word in order that we might be found obedient, faithful, abundant givers for Christ's glory, we pray. In Jesus' name.